as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We are joined right now from uh, by Tim Snyder from Matador Economics. There's some problems in the Gulf, and I don't mean the weather. Uh, Davis Rankin, uh, go ahead and take it from here. Uh, thank you very much, Zach. Um, we're gonna we're gonna let Matador Economics uh, explain this because otherwise I'll make it a tortured mess. It has to do with the Biden administration getting slapped by a federal judge, getting its hand slapped by a federal judge, and the way it leases. All right. Tim Snyder, take it away in the way at least is what. All right. And I, and I love it when you guys call and say, let's have a discussion about something like this, because this, this is one of those situations where you described it very well. The Biden administration did get their hand slapped, but they're finding ways to kind of manipulate the system. Let's start from the beginning. There's an article that was uh, published, um, gosh, I think it was, July the 20th of this year, 2023, and it was titled The Biden Administration Moves to Raise the Cost of Drilling on Federal Lands. This happened at the same time when the Biden administration put a, a, a basically an embargo. They just said no drilling in offshore, and the, the circuit court said, nah, sorry guys, you can't do that. And it was a circuit court um, I believe it's out of the federal district in New Orleans that actually oh, Circuit Court of Appeals. Stopped. Yes, it was the Court of Appeals. That's exactly right. Now, here's the issue. The Biden administration has uh, had planned and had in their in the process already a workaround for this, and it included hmm. expanding uh, their really detrimental. Uh, fees, um, you know, penalties, uh, lease costs, uh, all kinds of things. So that uh, and 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 the royal, it's called a royalty payment. That drillers of oil, natural gas, and coal that are not necessarily in the Gulf of Mexico, but on federal lands, would have to increase the cost of those fees by ten times so if it costs you a million dollars last week it's going to cost you 10 million dollars to do it this week let me see if i can it gets yeah go ahead well so if you were to bid on and win a lease in the gulf that they were talking about uh right you would have not only do you have you have to pay what you bid and then you have to pay to drill and extract it and all that kind of stuff, or if it's a dry hole. Um, do, did I hear you say that they're taxing? That's what I don't understand. They're telling them they have to pay more than those costs, or they're telling somebody yeah. else they've got to pay more for what they're doing 
which has nothing to do with the Gulf. I'm confused. It, it, it's even more nefarious than that. Because what they're doing is in order to fund their offshore wind projects yeah. and their onshore federal property wind and solar projects, they're not only raising the um, uh, royalty fees, that they already pay those royalty fees, okay? They have to pay a fee to the federal government to drill on federal land. That's the reason why they have these lease auctions. Biden said you can't, yeah. you know, we're going to cancel lease auctions. The, the federal government said, or the legal system, Justice Department said, you can't do that. So they said, okay, fine, we'll just work around it, and that's what they're doing. They're making the cost of these things much more uh, 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 expensive and making it much more difficult for these guys to drill. And you're going to hate this one, I'll tell you guys this. <laughs> they're going to take the fees and extra funds that are generated, and they're going to put them in grants and give them as gifts to the renewables like wind and solar <laughs> so they can level. Yes, I know they're going to level the, uh, they're going to move. They're going to reallocate the value of those assets into renewable types of energy. And that should go to the Supreme court and be, a, it should be against the law, but you, you never know. They have a, they have a, a plan for every twist that goes around. Joining us on 710 KURV from Matador Economics is Tim Snyder. No, that's that's completely fascinating, but it absolutely fits the the modus operandi for the it Biden administration for the big flip from oil to renewables. That's just weird. You know, so it, it is it's so restrictive and so ridiculous and so economically backwards, okay? I mean, it just absolutely blows people away. And and there are no, and I'm going to say this, and this is really a good thing, because of what you guys do down there in the Valley, you know, KORV is one of my favorite stations because you guys tell the truth. You guys tell people what they need to know. This is what's going on. They're taking from the oil companies and the coal companies and the natural gas companies. They're going to take those revenues that, they, that they gonna, they're going to generate in terms of higher fees and, and, you know, royalties and all yeah. the things that they can collect. And they're going to give it to their favorite form of energy. And that favorite form of energy is because they're using a climate uh, change tactic that is completely and totally false. You know, what's it's funny too, Tim, is... I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I'm sorry. It's, it's funny too, because uh, I think... Wasn't it this summer they had said that uh, solar and, and wind weren't doing all that great when we had the one of the biggest energy demand summers in Texas? Yeah, and the truth be known, it really wasn't that great. You know, it's still it's they're still having the trouble that they're having. And, you know, we've got all these mandates for for electricity and we don't have, you know, let, let's just be serious about one tiny part of it. The the CREZ zones, comp competitive renewable energy zones up in West Texas, where the wind wind power uh, terminals are up up in uh, the South Plains of Texas, that they built all those transmission lines that bring electricity down to Austin, San Antonio, um, and it probably brings some down to Brownsville, Dallas, Fort Worth, all that kind of stuff. They are at 100% capacity and have been at 100% capacity for the last six years. Even if they added more production, this is what's, you know, the, 
my granddaddy told me this a long time ago. It's better that you tell the truth the first time so you don't have to remember what you said. And, (laughs) you know, these guys, (laughs) yeah, these guys are are playing a game with us. And the fact is, even if we were able to generate more power, we can't move it because the transmission lines are at 100% capacity. And this has been going on for six years now. Well, why, why don't they build more transmission lines, whoever they are? Because they want the funding to come from oil and gas and coal from the fossil fuels so that they don't have to put it, and this is what I don't like, so that they don't have to put it on the state's budget. What? Yeah, Yeah, they could do a regular appropriate. They could could take tax from, say, Exxon and turn around and spend it on something else. But this way, they're they're just saying, Exxon, send the check to... To the Matador Economics Wind Wind Project. Thing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's probably not and, legal. And like I'm an expert. I, right? I think it's not legal, <laughs> to be really honest with you. But you know, the fact of the of the matter is, is people need to stand up and start saying, no, 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 no. Let's tell the truth here. Let's t- let's talk about what we actually have. Because if they're telling us that we were able to increase a wind and solar, um, if you drive, you know. Uh, through that through that Crez zone between like Snyder, Texas, and and move up towards Lubbock, and then of course out back east and west in those directions, going up towards the Panhandle. If you looked at those wind 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 tunnels, if you will, because there's 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 areas where the wind stays constant at 15 to 20 miles an hour, then you see many of them are shut down. Well, why are they shut down? Because they don't have the room to put the extra energy. You know, oh. it's just it's. It's a simple, simple lie that is so absurd that, you know, and they sell it. I hate to say it. They sell it so well, guys, and, and that's a shame. And that's why I'm so glad you guys called me and said, let's have a discussion about this today. Yeah, remember, uh, this is, I don't know if this is related to what you had just said, but, yeah, I think we had heard about that like a month or two ago where they're having trouble moving energy from one part of the state to the other because of the infrastructure. Yeah, that's exactly who, it. That's, who typically uh, who typically builds those? Is it the big oil companies or is it uh, no? Because that'd be a lot of money. So big investors. State of Texas did it on a grant. Um, the state of Texas raised funds for that. The utility grant, the, the utility a series of bonds, more than likely, and they got funding from the state of Texas, and so. My question is this. We've, I've known this for probably two years. I knew it before this past biennium. And guess what hmm. didn't get talked about this past biennium? Uh, this? Increasing the capacity, the load-bearing ability of those high-capacity uh, power lines. Oh, it's no. Not a It'll word. It'll work itself out, so Tim. Got, don't, don't despair. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, really. Sorry. Two more years before we talk about it. Um, well, maybe next week we'll hey, revisit well, it. Well, look at it this way, Tim. If we have a if we have another blackout, we won't have to worry about moving the energy because we won't we won't have any. <laughs> okay. well, we got to get going. Thanks a lot, Tim. Appreciate it as usual. Tim Snyder from Matador Economics joining us on News Talk Seven Ten KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com.
You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids. To running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news. And to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Joining us on 710 KURV, uh, we're talking about uh, a lot of the online reactions to the Israel Hamas war that's that's going on right now. Our guest on 710 KURV who is a social psychologist. And these guys are really unique, so I'm really excited to speak with Dr. Aaron Pomerantz right now. And uh, you're, you have an article at, uh, you have an op-ed at uh, Real Clear World titled Rising Anti-Semitism Highlights the Dangers of Toxic Empathy. Well, first off, what is a social psychologist? Yes, a social psychologist, rather than uh, dealing with issues of mental health directly, like a counselor or a psychiatrist or clinical psychologist, we study human thought, behavior, and emotion in the context of humans as social creatures. So how thoughts, cognition, and emotion are affected by the real and implied presence of others. That's the like textbook definition. Basically, how we see ourselves as social creatures, you know, parts of social groups, whether it be families, societies, cultures, uh, you name it, and how that in turn shapes our behavior. My understanding of uh, what you've so rightly called uh, toxic empathy, it's kind of like, in my opinion, it's like virtue signaling on steroids. Tell us about that. Yeah, sort of. So, I think with virtue or value signaling, what you're seeing is more of a, hey, look at me, I'm important, I belong, please like me, or, you know, I have value, I am virtuous. With what I'm calling toxic empathy, the the outcomes are somewhat similar, but I do think the motivation is different. What you're having here is people online, they're, they're very dedicated to this idea of always identifying with the victim. They are, dedic- they are dedicated to the idea of empathy. And, and I do want to stress, like, empathy is a good thing. Without it, there is no, there's no functional society. But to have real empathy, to the point, this is like literally a part of the definition, real empathy requires the capability to understand others, especially if you want it to have a, a, a good result. Well, if you just hear, oh, this person's the victim, I must, I must feel as they feel. I have to try to empathize with them, but you don't know anything about them. You're not actually having a, a helpful emotional reaction because you're not really responding to a, a real person, if that makes sense. You're, you're constructing this fictional version of people, of whatever the group is in your head. So you're going, oh, they're the victims. They're the good guys. They must be like me. I must empathize with them. And then when we, when we do that, we think of ourselves as the victims too, because they're like me, we're all together. And when you think of yourself as a victim, that leads to all sorts of negative outcomes. So what you're kind of seeing here with the Israeli-Palestine situation is people just assume, oh, the, the you know, Palestinians are victims. Hamas must be the good guys then after October 7th, because, you know, they're the victims. 
if you look at the Hamas charter, it uses terms like colonialism and stuff like that, that really appeals to this sort of toxic empathy tendency. And then people assume that they know how Palestinians must think and feel and that they are kind of, you know, they're all together. There's all this language of solidarity. You know, you hear things like, you know, freeing Palestine, quote unquote, is uh, everything from a an LGBT cause to a reproductive rights cause to like, I mean, you name the cause, they're co-opting it. Because ultimately, when they're when they're feeling this empathy for, quote unquote, Palestinians, they're feeling it for this imagined version of themselves that they're projecting into the conflict. Mm. And that's why they just engage in these really, uh, at best, useless and at worst, really, really harmful behaviors, both online and in the real world. One of the things that's very interesting to me is how selective it can be, because, for example, when um, Putin uh invaded ukraine and back in the day in crimea like nobody was saying oh it's just putin trying to take the land back and these are the same these are the same people you know what i mean it it's uh it's very very selective it's very very selective and it's very very manipulatable and that makes it very very dangerous because i mean even with the israeli palestine situation you know a few months ago everyone was absolutely on ukraine's side and putin was evil and that's pretty obvious and pretty apparent i think from any real analysis of Putin's foreign policy. But the fact that Putin is siding with Hamas, that uh, he and Iran and all these, these terrible governments are behind Hamas, that just seems to be totally missing from, from a lot of the mental calculus behind the support for Hamas, or at the very least the downplaying of Hamas, or in reality the, the opposition to Israel by any means necessary. So yeah, sure. we cannot... We, there's a lot of parallels. You rightly point out Putin's kind of making the same claim for invading Ukraine as Hamas is for the Simchatura massacre, and yet no one is siding with Putin. Joining us on 710 KURV, Dr. Aaron Pomerantz is a social psychologist and research uh, researcher. He joins us on your 956 Drive Home. Davis Rankin, your question. Uh, it's a bifurcated or bifold question. Is it possible, really, to uh, have empathy for someone or a people or a group outside of our experience? In other words, can we imagine something that we've never seen before, uh, number one? And um, I forgot what the other part was. So go for it. All right. Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. I do think we can feel empathy for people we don't know and, and for experiences and, and situations beyond our own personal experience, but it is going to be limited. And it's going to involve some degree of imagination and that can sort of impact our ability to feel empathy fully unless we start plugging in the gaps with our imagination. And that's, that's dangerous because it, Arguably, you know, once you cross a certain threshold of how much that you're, you're plugging in those gaps, you're not really feeling empathy for a real person anymore. I mean, that can be true even in our in our everyday lives, right? Like you might you might have, how many times, even with people we know really well, do we think we understand how they're feeling, or do we try to predict their behavior? Yeah. And it turns out that it's totally not that that we had totally no idea what they were thinking or feeling or how they were going to react, right? Even in the little things, like, I mean, who, who, who among us has not bought a birthday present for a loved one that we thought they were going to love and they did not? Now <laughs> That's do, very true. Now do it. For, <laughs> yeah, right? Now, do, now try to 
do that sort of mental math for somebody from a very different cultural background, a very different religious background, in a situation that dates back literally thousands of years and that we in the West, or at least those of us in the West not of uh, Jewish or Arab descent, can't really fathom. And you can see why that would be a recipe for disaster. You know what gets lost, too, like a baby in the bathwater? Uh, our guest is uh, Dr. Aaron Pomerantz, a social psychologist. He's got an article, uh, op-ed in, the, in Real Clear World called Rising Anti-Semitism, Highlighting the Danger of Toxic Empathy. He joins us now. One thing that I, we're, we're kind of getting the, I think the internet kind of loses the baby in the bathwater when they discuss any type of social issue, especially world events like this, where they will, they'll think that everybody is on the same page. Like, for example, like everybody, uh, they think that everybody is, uh, everybody agrees with Hamas or everybody in Israel agrees with what's going on or everybody that's uh, free Palestine has the same motives and intentions and things like that. And, and a lot of this nuance and variance tends to get lost as the discussion goes on because everything gets condensed to 140 characters on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, there's there's actually a, a name for that, and it's called the false consensus effect, where we assume that everyone agrees with us, even when they might not. And I think you're absolutely right, it becomes worse on the internet, because we can shape our internet experience. Uh, these things run on algorithms, your, your Twitter, your Instagram, your TikTok, like these are things shaped to you. So you, assume, you know, you can't, I mean, this effect works even in everyday life, you know, before the internet, this has been observed, this was observed. You assume everyone thinks like you think and everyone agrees like you, uh, with what you believe. But now you add an algorithm into that and it's just like all, that, that effect gets uh, blown up and all nuance just absolutely goes out the window. So what, uh, what would you say a, a solution is, uh Dr. Pomerantz, what would you say if, if, say, if we're online and arguing with people on the Internet, not the best for the mental health. So what, what do we do? Is there a solution? Uh, I think there is, but I, I don't think it's I don't think there's necessarily one solution. I don't think there's a, an easy one. I think when it comes to this specific issue, there, there's a couple of things. First of all, being willing to step back and say, I do not have an obligation to have a take like why, you know, if you, 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 there's this idea that everyone has to have an opinion about everything. You know, I, I was having this discussion the other day with somebody and they're like, you know, oh, I can't believe this stuff. I'm talking about Israel, Palestine. And they came out with about in the span of 30 seconds, five just blatant untruths. Like, oh, Jews are all European. And I'm like, no, we're not. Oh, well, you know, Jews are, you know, military occupation of Gaza hasn't been true since 2005. And after this conversation, it's like, I'm like, why do you, feel the need to have this well everyone's like kind of pressuring me into it i'm like well okay but just saying hey i don't know enough that's a really good first step and then if you want to educate yourself like there's there's a literacy issue here uh, and we see you know because uh the, we live in an era where we a lot of us have moved on beyond falling for you know i am a nigerian prince and i have 20 million dollars to send you types of scams <laughs> we think we know how to navigate the internet but the fact is we don't, especially for this issue where there's a lot of intentional misinformation out there. Uh, I mean, Al Jazeera is basically just Qatar, not basically, it's literally just Qatari propaganda. It's blasting stuff out there. Even the New York Times and the BBC are constantly having to retract and apologize for articles 
So if you feel that you need to have a take on Israel-Palestine, do some research. And, you know, I, I hate that phrase, do research, because these days it tends to mean I Googled something and, and, and uh, clicked the first link I found. Well, no, that's not what I mean by do your research. Do some actual hard reading. Be willing to have discussions with people who disagree with you. And above all, like, get, get your emotions out of it. You know, you, you want to have empathy for these people. You want to have empathy for victims of injustice. That's great. That's a noble and important motivation to have. But make sure you're dealing with real people and that you have enough knowledge to be dealing with real people and that it's not just ultimately you creating this fictional thing that you can be angry about and make yourself feel righteous, which is what I think an overwhelming amount of people in the current discourse certainly those justifying Hamas, I think that's what they're doing. I have to tell you, Dr. Pomerantz, I loved this discussion. I hope to have a similar one very, very soon. Thanks a lot for spending some time with us Thank here today. You. That is social psychologist Dr. Aaron Pomerantz. You can check out his op-ed at Real Clear World. Rising anti-Semitism highlights the danger of toxic empathy. You're listening to News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. I love your show. Hello. Hello. Having our voices heard. That's right. Yeah. You live and you learn. Exactly right. This is our country. Use your heads on this stuff. Bingo. Sick of the talking heads. I agree with you. Talk, 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 talk. Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm just listening. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Everyone is so smart. They are so dumb. Who is she to judge? To stand up to do something. Thank you. The Valley's only news talk station. News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Uh, meanwhile, we have a short amount of time here. we got to talk to uh, Patrick Zvitek from the Texas Tribune. It's the next chapter in the story of the embattled attorney general of the mighty Republic of Texas, Ken Paxton. And they said they were going to move forward with some lawsuits. Is that is that right, Pat? Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This mm-hmm. is a, a complicated uh, legal path that we're talking about here. So I'll try to keep it as short and sweet as possible. But what happened this week is a judge in Burnett County outside of Austin uh, issued a ruling that allowed the Ken Paxton whistleblower case to continue in uh, Travis County uh, where it originated. Um, so if you recall, Ken Paxton got impeached um, in May by the Texas House. The Texas Senate acquitted him uh, in September. And after that acquittal, the whistleblowers um, who had been alleging wrongdoing in his office um, they uh, asked the Texas Supreme Court to restart their lawsuit in Travis County. Uh, the Texas Supreme Court effectively agreed. Um, Ken Paxton did not like that. He went to Burnett County and got a judge there to issue a temporary restraining order, putting the lawsuit on hold. Um, and what happened this week is uh, that judge in Burnett County um, lifted that temporary restraining order and allowed the lawsuit to proceed in Travis County for the time being. So is Paxton out of options at this point and they're actually going to have to go through with it? No. Look, um, he's not out of options at this point. The, the Burnett County lawsuit that he filed against the whistleblowers to effectively derail their Travis County case 
it, it still exists. It remains pending. There's going to be a hearing in about a month um, on some other motions in the case. Um, it, it really depends on, you know, strategically whether the whistleblower's lawsuit, I'm sorry, the whistleblower's lawyers, um, you know, how quickly they want to move forward in Travis County. They were trying to take, um, they were giving notice that they wanted to take depositions in that suit. Um, very recently, they want to depose Paxton, some of his top aides. Um, and so they have appeared ready to move forward in Travis County, and they're trying their best to move forward in Travis County. Um, but that was all before Paxton went to Burnett County and, and effectively got the case derailed temporarily. So, it, it, you know, there could still be more delays here. Um, I would not put it past Paxton to find another legal avenue to try to further delay the, you know, original lawsuit in Travis County. Davis, your question for Patrick's VTech of the Texas Tribune. Any reason why Burnett rather than Travis County or uh, maybe Bastrop County? Sure. So one of the whistleblowers uh, lives in Burnett County. Um, and so that was the okay. reasoning that um, Paxton's lawyers used to, to file this kind of side lawsuit there. Any idea on, uh, well, we're, we're, there's still a lot up in the air. I was going to ask a, a potential court date, but there, like you had mentioned, there's still a lot going on. I don't think that that would have solidified as of yet, right? Yeah, no, there's no trial date in Travis County yet. Um, that is still very much uh, to be determined. All right. Any, uh, anybody sounding off on this in particular? Uh, anybody have a very avid opinion? <laughs> only, only half the <laughs> you world. Know, I think uh, <laughs> I haven't heard a lot of prominent you know, reaction from prominent people to it, but it, it's really just yet another reminder that even though Paxton was acquitted in those, that impeachment trial, um, his legal problems are not going away anytime soon. He's got this whistleblower lawsuit in Travis County. He has his uh, eight-year-old um, securities fraud case in Harris County that does have a trial date of early next year. Um, and then just yesterday, um, he was his office, his lawyers were in a state appeals court in Dallas um, fighting the uh, state bar's efforts to discipline him over his 2020 election lawsuit. If you recall, um, he filed that, you know, nationally uh, known lawsuit to try to overturn the 2020 election results in four battleground states. So, I mean, <laughs> if you're Paxton, you still have a lot on your plate when it comes to personal uh, legal problems. I mean this, I mean this half joking, but he didn't, he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell a judge. Hey, well, you saw the the Texas Senate acquitted me, so <laughs> we don't have to move forward with any of this, right? You know, he didn't he didn't mention that. No. <laughs> All right. All right. No, All right. I think he, you know, th that was a political win for him uh, more than it was anything that would curtail the other legal problems. All right, nothing to see here, boys. Texas Senate took care of it, you know. No FBI here. Hey, thanks a lot, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you. As usual, you're listening to an encore presentation of the nine five six Drive Home on News Talk seven ten KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. 
This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Let's get a check of our state of health in the Rio Grande Valley. We're talking about RSV and the flu and COVID, all that stuff over this holiday season. Joining us on 710 KURV is the Hidalgo County Health Authority, Dr. Ivan Melendez. And uh, yeah, anecdotally close to home, I've I've known a couple of people in my family that not only picked up the flu, but one of them had to be hospitalized recently because of it. So it, has it kind of snuck up on us or, or what, what has been your take on this? Well, thank you for having me and thank you for giving me mm-hmm. the opportunity to reach out to our community and remind them how uh, these three viruses, RSV, influenza and COVID are are really active. In fact, today I'm sitting here at Edinburgh Hospital and I've admitted three people today uh, with influenza. And so um, these people, are, uh, one is critically ill in the ICU and the other two are on the regular floor, but, but they're pretty sick. So the idea that the flu is, uh, is minor, it certainly can be, but if you're in the appropriate risk group, it can be life-threatening. Uh, you know, it's an interesting trend that we've seen is that uh, ever since COVID uh, kind of slipped back a little bit, uh, the other viruses have come back up. We believe that during those years, 2020, so 2022, when we're extremely vigilant with our masks, all our numbers of the upper airway respiratory diseases diminished. Mm. But with our laxity mask, and I don't blame people being tired of it, that has a um, simultaneous increase in the other viruses that are transmitted via the upper airway. So last year and this year, we've seen a notable increase um, um, and early in the season of flu. Usually, influenza and the Rogram Valley peaks in January. Um, but... You know, that can change, too, because you see what has happened to our weather patterns. Uh, they're, they're certainly not traditional. So I think this is a um, very fluid situation. What, what is concrete and mathematically correct is that RSV currently is filling our pediatric wards. Uh, COVID, there's still uh, 19 people today in the hospital with COVID, and we're almost at 30 with the flu. So since you and I have been talking for the last couple of years, this is the very first time where we have more people in the hospital with influenza than we do with COVID. And we still have uh, almost 2% of people in the hospital with COVID. So if you look at all three viruses, we're probably close to 4 4.5% of all our hospital beds are currently being occupied by one of these three villains. And I tell you, here's, some, here's I think, the important thing to remember for our public to understand. None of these three diseases have a good cure. That is, there's no medication, there's no therapeutics that's going to um, guarantee that you're going to get better which means that the best way to combat this disease is to not get it. So prevention is the key to all three of these viruses. And for the first time in the 37 years that I've been practicing, we now have a vaccine that's available for all three uh, viruses, including the RSV. So we're shooting above 85% of very good protection from all three viruses with the current vaccine. So prevention is the key and early detection getting tested and knowing that you need to not be out in public is extremely helpful for those people that are at high risk. And who's high risk? Uh, newborns, people less than two years, and people over 60, and people who, like in our community, are diabetic, hypertensive, and obese. And so a lot of us in the Rio Grande Valley fall under that category. So prevention, early detection, I think is what's going to help us. Patterns have changed the last two years. We're certainly at an up, but we certainly have the resources and the hospital beds to accommodate. But it is a good time when you're coming home 
for Thanksgiving and for Christmas and for New Year's to protect the elderly and protect those family members that are not blessed to have the uh, the good health that we have. And that would be my advice. Joining us on 710 KURV is the Hidalgo County Health Authority, Dr. Ivan Melendez. Go ahead, Davey. Would you add um, asthma or an asthma condition, however that's defined as being something to, that re- you ought to go out and get a vaccine? Well, without a doubt. Let's remember that asthma can actually be a sequestra or a, a consequence of RSV. We see children oh. that get RSV as newborns early in life. Uh, their incidence of uh, of obtaining asthma down the road is much greater than people that never get RSV. And let's remember that asthma is a large category of diseases. What they have in common is that you get bronchospasms, the tubes taking oxygen into your lungs begin to go into a spasm, and you hear the wheezing. We call that asthma. That can be caused by exercise, by allergies, by changes in abrupt temperature. Uh, and so the causes of asthma are multifocal, but certainly if you already have that propensity to have bronchospasms, none of these viruses are very helpful. So I would certainly add that to our, uh, to our risk factors. Uh, I'm guessing that then you would advise uh, continued use of the mask in crowded circumstances and uh, um, hand sanitizer. Yeah, I think that uh, that prevention would include hand mask and sanitizer. But, you know, at the same time, uh, living legend, <laughs> we have to be we have to be I mean, we have to be realistic. Right. Uh, and everybody's so tired uh, yeah. of uh, wearing masks. And so um, we don't want to lose credibility with our public. And so let's put it this way. If you're living with the people that you always live with, uh, your, your wife, your kids, maybe you live with your parents and you've been with them forever, it's kind of uh, doesn't make sense to be wearing masks at home when you've been living with these people you know, for, for, the, for the recent past. What does make sense with masks is what? When you're in public places, like when you're on an airplane and you're traveling somewhere, because mm-hmm. most of the diseases, you don't have symptoms. You're asymptomatic for three to four days. So you leave McAllen feeling great. You pick up the flu or RSV or COVID in the, in the flight from, say, Houston to Baltimore. You get to Baltimore, you do okay. The next day you're having some sniffles, but it's cold. You won't know till three days later when you've exposed everyone yeah. that you're turning positive for something you picked up on the airplane. So in, in closed, crowded, indoor places with people that you're not familiar with, who you don't know their vaccine status, and especially if you're going to be in contact with the more innocent, that is naive, immunologically naive people, it's a really good idea to, to wear masks. Tell us, tell us about, uh, tell us more about RSV. I, am I wrong in thinking that this one kind of flew under the radar with, when all the attention goes towards COVID and the flu over the past couple of years? Well, you know, we were really aware of it, and our numbers were dramatically down during the time when COVID was dramatically up, and it makes perfect sense because people were using masks, and also remember people were not going to the hospital until they were critically ill. Respiratory syncytial virus, a syncytium is like a nest. So imagine that when you get this virus, it goes to your bronchial system. It forms like these inflammatory little pouches, and so it can be quite devastating. And let's remind our public that even our respiratory system itself is incredibly fascinating. We're breathing in room air, which only has 21% oxygen. And that oxygen, which is mixed with almost 79% nitrogen, gets down to our lungs. And somehow this air has to be turned into a liquid, a liquid form of oxygen, and get into our body so we can deliver it to our heart, so we can deliver it to the rest of the body. So the whole mechanism of getting air 
oxygen and turning to liquid form oxygen is incredibly, for a guy like me, interesting and encompasses alveoli, it encompasses our lungs, encompasses cilia, all sorts of neat things that occur in our respiratory system. And anywhere along that path where you have these soft tissues that are being offended by these viruses and our body's inflammatory response is a formula for it to be ineffective and not work very well. So it's kind of, from a nerdy perspective, kind of cool. But unfortunately, it does create a lot of chaos. Hey, knowledge is power, right? The more you know about it, the more you can do um, things with it. Uh, Davis, uh, last question. we got about 90 seconds. My understanding about influenza, real influenza, is it's sudden onset. There's no uh, question about what it is. It knocks you down. Is that right? Everybody responds differently. Ah. You can, that's a patient you can describe like that. But let's remember, there's a lot of different type of influences. Right now, we're seeing four different types of influenza. Influenza, like COVID, is one of those viruses that mutates dramatically. That's why every two years, we have a new vaccine. Fortunately, the one we have now is covering all four of the most common influences that we're seeing. But you know that influenza has killed more people. They estimate yeah. that in 1912 in that area, a type of influenza virus killed up to 20, uh, 30 million Americans. So influenza can be deadly, but yes, you can get it abruptly, but it can also be insidious uh, like the other viruses. I think the important point to remember, because our time is limited, is you cannot depend solely on symptoms because uh, symptoms are inconsistent from person to person. So I wouldn't just take it for granted that if you're, it's getting slow or it's getting quick, it's this or it's that. I would confirm it with a, with a rapid uh, nasal swab, which is easy and cheap to get. Thanks a lot for your time Thank as you. usual, Dr. Dr. Ivan Melendez, the Hidalgo County Health Authority, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.